Continuing in A Treatise of the Fear of God by John Bunyan, Part 9. Seventh. Another motive may be, it is honorable to grow in this grace of fear. When Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel, Hosea 13, verse 1. Truly, to fear and to about in this fear is a sign of a very princely spirit. And the reason is, when I greatly fear my God, I am above the fear of all others, nor can anything in this world, be it never so terrible and dreadful, move me at all to fear them. And hence it is that Christ counsels us to fear. And I say unto you, my friends, saith he, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. I, but this is a high pitch. How should we come by such princely spirits? Well, I will forewarn you whom you shall fear, and by fearing of him arrive to this pitch. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Luke 12, verses 4 and 5. Indeed, this true fear of God sets a man above all the world, and therefore it saith again, Neither fear ye their fear, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Isaiah 8, verses 12 and 13. Your great ranting, swaggering roisters that are ignorant of the nature of the fear of God counted a poor, sneaking, pitiful, cowardly spirit in men to fear and tremble before the Lord. But whoso looks back to jails and gibbets, to the sword and burning stake, shall see that there, in them, has been the most mighty and invincible spirit that has been in the world. Yea, see if God doth not count that the growth of his people in this grace of fear is that which makes them honorable. When he positively excludes those from a dwelling place in his house that do not honor them that fear him. Psalm 15, verse 4. And he saith moreover, A woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. If the world and godless men will not honor these, they shall be honored some way else. Such, saith he, that honor me, I will honor. And they shall be honored in heaven, in the churches, and among the angels. Eighth, another motive to grow in the sphere of God may be, this fear and the increase of it qualifies a man to be put in trust with heavenly and spiritual things, yea, and with earthly things too. Number one, for heavenly and spiritual things, my covenant, saith God, was with, Levi, of life and peace, and I gave them to him, for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. Malachi 2, verse 5. Behold, what a gift, what a mercy, what a blessing this levy is entrusted with, to wit, with God's everlasting covenant, and with the life and peace that is wrapped up in this covenant. But why is it given to him? The answer is, for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. And the reason is good. For this fear of God teaches a man to put a due estimation upon every gift of God bestowed upon us. Also, it teaches us to make use of the same with reverence of his name, and with respect to his glory in most godly wise. 
all which becomes him that is entrusted with any spiritual gift. The gift here was given to Levi, to minister to his brethren doctrinally thereof. For he, saith God, shall teach Jacob my statutes, and Israel my law. See also Exodus 18, verse 21, and Nehemiah 7, verse 2. With many other places that might be named, and you will find that men fearing God and hating covetousness, that men that fear God above others, are entrusted by God, yea, and by his church too, with the trust and ministration of spiritual things before any other in the world. Number two, for earthly things. This fear of God qualifies a man to be put in trust with them rather than with another. Therefore, God made Joseph lord of all Egypt, Obadiah a steward of Ahab's house. Daniel, Mordecai, and the three children were set over the province of Babylon, and this by the wonderful working hand of God, because he had to dispose of earthly things now, not only in a common way, but for the good of his people in special. True, when there is no special matter or thing to be done by God in a nation for his people, then who will, that is, whether they have the grace or no, may have the disposal of those things. But if God has anything in special to bestow upon his people of this world's goods, then he will entrust it in the hands of men fearing God. Joseph must now be made lord of Egypt, because Israel must be kept from starving. Obadiah must now be made steward of Ahab's house, because the Lord's prophets must be hid from and fed in despite the rage or despite of the rage and bloody mind of Jezebel. Daniel with his companions, and Mordecai also, they were all exalted to earthly and temporal dignity, that they might in that state, they being men that abounded in the fear of God, be serviceable to their brethren in their straits and difficulties. Genesis 42.18, 41.39, Kings 18.3, Esther 6.10, Daniel 2.48, 3.30, 5.29, verses 1-3. through Ninth. Another motive to grow in this grace of fear is, where the fear of God in the heart of any is not growing, there no grace thrives, nor duty done, as it should. There no grace thrives, neither faith, hope, love, or any grace. This is evident from that general exhortation. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Perfecting holiness, what is that? But as James says of patience, let every grace have its perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing, James 1 verse 4. But this cannot be done but in the fear of God, yea, in the exercise of that grace, and so consequently in the growth of it. For there is no grace but grows by being exercised. If then you would be made perfect in holiness, if you would have every grace that God has put into your souls, grow and flourish into perfection, lay them, as I may say, a soak in this grace of fear and do all in the exercise of it. For a little done in the fear of the Lord is better than the revenues of the wicked. And again, the Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous, the soul that liveth in the fear of the Lord, 
to famish, but he casteth away the abundance of the wicked. Bring abundance to God, and if it be not seasoned with godly fear, it shall not be acceptable to him, but loathsome and abominable in his sight. For it doth not flow from the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Therefore, where there is not a growth in this fear, there is no duty done so acceptably. This flows from that which goes before. For if grace rather decays than grows, where this grace of fear is not in the growth and increase thereof, then duties in their glory and acceptableness decay likewise. Tenth. Another motive to stir thee up to grow in the increase of this grace of fear is, it is a grace. Do but abound therein that will give thee great boldness both with God and men. Job was a man in and none such, or Job was a man and none such in his day for one that feared God. And who so bold with God as Job? Who so bold with God? And who so bold with men as he? How bold was he with God when he wishes for nothing more than that he might come even to his seat and concludes that if he could come at him, he would approach even as a prince unto him and as such would order his cause before him. Job 23, verses 3 through 7, 31, verses 35 through 37. Also, before his friends, how bold was he? For ever as they laid to his charge that he was an hypocrite, he repels them with the testimony of a good conscience, which good conscience he got and kept and maintained by increasing in the fear of God. Yea, his conscience was kept so good by this grace of fear, for it was by that that he eschewed or hated evil, that it was common with him to appeal to God when accused, and also to put himself for his clearing under most bitter curses and imprecautions. Job 13, verses 3 through 9, 18, and 19, verses 23, 24, and 31. This fear of God is it that keeps the conscience clean and tender, and so free from much of that defilement that even a good man may be afflicted with, for want of his growth in the sphere of God. Yea, let me add, if a man can with a good conscience say that he desires to fear the name of God, it will add boldness to his soul in his approaches into the presence of God. O Lord, said Nehemiah, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and servants who desire to fear thy name. Nehemiah 1 verse 11. He pleadeth his desire of fearing the name of God, as an argument with God to grant him his request. And the reason was, because God had promised before to bless them that fear him, both small and great. Psalm 115 verse 13. Eleventh, another motive to stir you up to fear the Lord and to grow in this fear is, by it thou mayest have thy labors blessed to the saving of the souls of others. It is said of Levi, of whom mention was made before, that he feared God and was afraid before his name, that he saved others from their sins. The law of truth was in his mouth, and he walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn away many from iniquity. Malachi 2, verse 6. The fear of God that dwelt in his heart showed its growth 
in the sanctifying of the Lord by his life and words. And the Lord also blessed this, his growth herein, by blessing his labors due to the saving of his neighbors. Wouldst thou save thy husband, thy wife, thy children, etc., then be greatly in the fear of God? This Peter teaches. Wives, saith he, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any not obey the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversion coupled with fear. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. So then, if wives and children, yea, if husbands, wives, children, servants, etc., did but better observe this general rule of Peter, to wit, of letting their whole conversation be coupled with fear, they might be made instruments in God's hand of much more good than they are. But the misery is, the fear of God is wanting in actions. And that is the cause that so little good is done by those that profess. It is not a conversation that is coupled with a profession. For a great profession may be attended with a life that is not good, but scandalous. But it is a conversation coupled with fear of God, that is, with the impressions of the fear of God upon it, that is convincing and that ministers the awakenings of God to the conscience in order to saving the unbeliever. Oh, they are a sweet couple, to wit, a Christian conversation, coupled with fear. The want of this fear of God is that that has been a stumbling block to the blind oftentimes. Alas, the world will not be convinced by your talk, by your notions, and by the great profession that you make. If they see not, therefore mixed, or therewith mixed, the lively impressions of the fear of God, but will, as I said, rather stumble and fall, even at your conversation and at your profession itself. Wherefore, to prevent this mischief, that is, of stumbling of souls while you make your profession of God by a conversation not becoming your profession, God bids you to fear him, implying that a good conversation coupled with fear delivers the blind world from those falls that otherwise they cannot be delivered from. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shalt fear thy God. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19, verse 14. But shalt fear thy God, that is the remedy that will prevent their stumbling at you, and whatever else, and whatsoever else they stumble. Wherefore Paul says to Timothy, Take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Twelfth. Another motive to fear and to grow in the sphere of God is, this is the way to engage God, to deliver thee from many outward dangers, whosoever falls therein. Psalm 34, verse 7. This is proved from that of the story of the Hebrew midwives. The midwives, said Moses, feared God and did not drown the men, the men children as the king had commanded, but saved them alive. And what follows? Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them 
houses, Exodus 1. That is, he sheltered them and caused them to be hid from the rage and fury of the king, and that perhaps in some of the houses of the Egyptians themselves. For why might not the midwives there or be there hid as well as was Moses even in the king's court? And how many times are they that fear God said to be delivered both by God and his holy angels, as also I have already showed? Thirteenth, another motive to fear and to grow in the sphere of God is, this is the way to be delivered from errors and damnable opinions. There are some that perish in their righteousness, and that is an error. There be some that perish in their wickedness, and that is an error also. Some again prolong their lives by their wickedness, and others are righteous over much, and also some are over wise, and all these are snares and pits and holes. But then, sayest thou, how shall I escape? Indeed, that is the question. And the Holy Ghost resolves it thus, He that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 18. Fourteenth. Another motive to fear and to grow in the sphere of God is, such as have leave, be they never so dark in their souls, to come boldly to Jesus Christ and to trust him for life. As I told you before, that they that fear God have in the general a license to trust in him. But now I tell you, and that in particular, that they and they especially may do it, and that though in the dark... You sit, or you that sit in darkness and have no light, if this grace of fear be alive in your hearts, you have this boldness. Who is among you that feareth the Lord? Mark, that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord, and stay upon his God. Isaiah 50, verse 10. It is no small advantage, you know, when men have to deal in difficult matters, to have a patent or license to deal. Now, to trust in the Lord is a difficult thing, yet the best and most gainful of all. But then, some will say, since it is so difficult, how may we do without danger? Why, the text gives a license and a patent to them that trust in his name, that have fear in their hearts. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Fifteenth, another motive to fear and grow in this grace of fear is, God will own and acknowledge such to be his, whoever he rejecteth. Yea, he will distinguish and separate them from all others in the day of his terrible judgments. He will do with them as he did by those that sighed for the abominations that were done in the land. Command the man that hath his inkhorn by his side to set a mark upon their foreheads, that they might not fall in that judgment with others. Ezekiel verse 9. So God said plainly of them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name, that they should be written in his book. A book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Malachi 3, verses 16 and 17. Mark. He both acknowledges them for his, 
and also promises to spare them, as a man would spare his own son, yea, and moreover, will wrap them up as his chief jewels with himself in the bundle of life. Thus much for the motives. How to grow in this fear of God. Having given you these motives to the duty of growing in the fear of God, before I leave this use, I will, in a few words, show you how you may grow in the fear of God. First, then, if thou wouldest grow in the fear of God, learn a right to distinguish a fear in general. I mean, learn to distinguish between that fear that is godly and that which is in itself is indeed ungodly fear of God. And know them well, the one from the other, lest the one, the fear that in itself indeed is ungodly, get the place, even the upper hand of that which truly is godly fear. And remember, the ungodly fear of God is by God himself counted an enemy to him, and hurtful to his people, and is therefore most plentifully forbidden in the word. Genesis 3.15, 26.24, Exodus 14.13, Numbers 14.9, Isaiah 41.10 and 14, 43.1, and 8, 54, 4, Jeremiah 30, 10, Daniel 10, 12, and 19, Joel 2, 21, Haggai 2, verse 5, Zechariah 8, verse 13. Second, if thou wouldest grow in this godly fear, learn rightly to distinguish it from that fear in particular that is godly but for a time, even from that fear that is wrought by the Spirit as a spirit of bondage. I say, learn to distinguish this from that, and also perfectly to know the bounds that God hath set to that fear that is wrought by the Spirit as a spirit of bondage, lest, instead of growing in the fear that is to abide with thy soul forever, thou be overrun again with that first fear, which is to abide with thee, but till the spirit of adoption come. And that thou mayest not only distinguish them one from the other, but also keep each in its due place and bounds. Consider in general of what hath already been said upon this head, and in particular, that the first fear is no more wrought by the Holy Spirit, but by the devil, to distress thee, and make thee to live, not like a son, but a slave. And for thy better help in this matter, know that God himself hath set bounds to this fear, and has concluded that after the spirit of adoption is come, that other fear is wrought in thy heart by him no more. Romans 8 verse 15 and 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Again, before I leave this, let me tell thee that if thou doest not well, bestir in thee this matter, this bondage fear, to wit, that which is like it, though not wrought in thee by the Holy Ghost, will, by the management and subtlety of the devil, the author of it, haunt, disturb, and make thee live uncomfortably, and that while thou art an heir of God in his kingdom. This is that fear that the apostle speaks of that makes men all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15. For though Christ will deliver thee indeed at last, thou having embraced him by faith, yet thy life will be full of trouble and death, though Jesus hath abolished it, will be always a living bugbear to thee in all thy ways and thoughts, to break thy peace and to make thee draw thy loins heavily after him. Third, wouldst thou grow in this godly fear? Then, 
As thou shouldest learn to distinguish of fears, so thou shouldest make conscience of which to entertain and cherish. If God would have his fear, and it is called his fear by way of eminency, that his fear may be before you that ye sin not. Exodus 20.20, 20, Jeremiah 32.40 I say, if God would have his fear be with thee, then thou shouldest make conscience of this, and not so lightly give way to slavish fear, as is common for Christians to do. There is utterly a fault among Christians about this thing, that is, they make not that conscience of resisting of slavish fear, as they ought. They rather cherish and entertain it, and so weaken themselves, that the fear that they ought to strengthen. And this is the reason that we so often lie grabbling under the black and amazing thoughts that are engendered in our hearts by unbelief. For this fear nourisheth unbelief, that is, now it doth, to writ, or to wit. If we give way to it after the spirit of adoption has come, and readily close it with all the fiery darts of the wicked, but Christians are ready to do with this fear as the horse does when the tines of the fork are set against his side, even lean to it until it entereth into his belly. We lean naturally to this fear, I mean, after God has done good to our souls. It is hard striving against it, because it has even our sense and feeling of its side. But I say, if thou wouldest be a growing Christian, growing, I say, in the fear that is godly, in the fear that is always so, then make conscience of striving against the other, and against all these things that would bring thee back to it. Wherefore should I fear, said David, in the day of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? Psalm 49, verse 5. What? Not fear in the day of evil? What? Not when the iniquity of thy heels encompass, or compass thee about? No, not then, saith he, that is, not with that fear that would bring him again into bondage to the law, for he had received the spirit of adoption before. Indeed, if ever a Christian has ground to give way to slavish fear, it is at these two times, to wit, in the day of evil, and when the iniquity of his heels compass him about. But you see, David would not then, no, not then, give way thereto, nor did he see reason why he should. Wherefore should I, said he? I, wherefore indeed? Since thou art become a son of God through Christ, and have received the spirit of his Son into your heart, crying, Father, Father. Fourth, would you grow in this grace of godly fear? Then grow in the knowledge of the new covenant, for that is indeed the girdle of our reins and the strength of our souls. Hear what Zechariah saith, saith. God says he hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. But what was it? What was it that he spake? Why, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, without this slavish bondage fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. But upon what is this princely fearless service of God grounded? Why, upon the holy covenant of God, 
upon the oath that he swore unto Abraham. Luke 1, 69-74. Now in this covenant is wrapped up all thy salvation, and it is contained all thy desire. And I am sure that then it containeth the complete salvation of thy soul. And I say, since this covenant is confirmed by promise, by oath, and by the blood of the Son of God, and that on purpose that thou mightest serve thy God without slavish fear, then the knowledge and faith of this covenant is of absolute necessity to bring us into this liberty and out of our slavish terrors, and so, consequently, to cause us to grow in that sun-like, godly fear which became even the Son of God himself and becomes all his disciples to live in the growth and exercise of. Fifth, wouldst thou grow in this godly fear? Then labor, even always, to keep thine evidences for heaven and of thy salvation alive upon thy heart. For he that loseth his evidences for heaven will hardly keep slavish fear out of his heart. But he that hath the wisdom and grace to keep them alive and apparent to himself, he will grow in this godly fear. See how David words it. From the end of the earth, saith he, will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me, and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Psalm 61, verses 2-5 through Mark a little. David doth by these words in the first place suggest that sometimes, to his thinking, he was as far off of his God as the ends of the earth are asunder, and that at such times he was subject to be overwhelmed, afraid. Second, the way that he took at such times to help himself was to cry to God to lead him again to Jesus Christ. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For indeed, without faith in him and the renewing of that faith, there can be no evidence for heaven made to appear unto the soul. This, therefore, he prays for first. Then he puts that faith into exercise, and that with respect to the time that was past, and also of the time that was to come. For the time past, says he, Thou hast been a shelter to me, and a strong tower from the enemy. And for the time to come, he said, I will abide in thy tabernacle, that is, in thy Christ by faith, and in thy way of worship by love, forever, and observe it. He makes the believing remembrance of his first evidences for heaven the ground of this, his cry in faith. For thou, says he, O God, hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou hast made me meet to be a partaker of the mercy of thy chosen, and hast put me under the blessing of goodness wherewith thou hast blessed those that fear thee. Thus you see how David, in his distresses, musters up his prayers, faith, and evidences for eternal life, that he might deliver himself from being overwhelmed, that is, with slavish fear, and that he might also abound in that sun-like fear of his fellow brethren, that is not only comely with respect to our profession, 
but profitable to our souls. Sixth, wouldst thou grow in the fear of God? Then set before thine eyes the being and majesty of God, for that both begetteth, maintaineth, and increaseth this fear. And hence it is called the fear of God, that is, an holy and awful dread and reverence of his majesty. For the fear of God is to stand in awe of him. But how can that be done if we do not set him before us? And again, if we would fear him more, we must abide more in the sense and faith of his glorious majesty. Hence this fear, and God's name, is so often put together. As fear God, fear the Lord, fear thy God. Do this in the fear of the Lord, and thou shalt fear thy God. I am the Lord. For these words, I am the Lord thy God, and the like, are on purpose put in, not only to show us whom we should fear, but also to beget, maintain, and increase in us that fear that is due from us to that glorious and fearful name, the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 28, verse 58. Seventh. Wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear? Then keep always close to thy conscience the authority of the word. Fear the commandment as the commandment of a God both mighty and glorious, and as the commandment of a Father both loving and pitiful. Let this commandment, I say, be always with thine eye, with thine ear, and with thine heart. For then thou wilt be taught not only to fear, but to abound in the fear of the Lord. Every grace is nourished by the word, and without it there is no thrift in the soul. Proverbs 13, 13, 4, verses 20-22, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 and 2. Eighth, wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear? Then be much in the faith of the promise, of the promise that maketh over to thy soul an interest in God by Christ, and of all good things. The promise naturally tendeth to increase in us the fear of the Lord. Because this fear, it grows by goodness and mercy. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness. Now this goodness and mercy of God it is wrapped up in and made over to us by promise. For God gave it to Abraham by promise. Therefore the faith and hope of the promise causeth this fear to grow in the soul. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Therefore that fear by the promise must needs grow mighty, for by, with, and in it you see holiness is perfected. Ninth, wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear? Then remember the judgments of God that have, or certain, or shall certainly overtake, those professors that have either been downright hypocrites, or else unwatchful Christians. For both these sorts partake of the judgments of God, the one to wit, the true Christian, for his unwatchfulness, for his correction, the other to wit, the hypocrite, for his hypocrisy, to his destruction. This is a way to make thee stand in awe, and to make thee tremble, and grow in the grace of fear before thy God. 
judgments? You may say, what judgments? Answer, time will fail me here to tell thee of the judgments that sometimes overtake God's people and that always certainly overtake the hypocrite for his transgressions. For those that attend God's people, I would have thee look back to the place in this book where they are particularly touched upon. And for those that attend the hypocrite, in general, they are these. Number one, blindness of heart in this world. Number two, the death of their hope at the day of their death. Number three, and the damnation of their souls at the day of judgment. Matthew 23, verses 15 through 19. Job 8, verse 13. 11, verse 20. 18, verse 14. 20, verses 4 through 7. Matthew 23, 33 and 24, 51. Luke 20, 47. The godly consideration of these things tend to make men grow in the fear of God. Tenth. Wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear? Then study the excellencies of the grace of fear, and what profit it yieldeth to them that have it. And labor to get thy heart into the love, both of the exercise of the grace itself, and also of the fruit it yieldeth. For a man hardly grows in the increase of any grace, until his heart is united to it. And until it is made lovely in his eyes, Psalm 119, verse 119 and 20. Now the excellencies of this grace of fear have also been discoursed of in this book before, whereby reading thou shalt find the fruit it bears, and the promises that are annexed to it, which, because they are many, I refer thee also thither for thy instruction. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive, 
and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.